0: I'm JR, and I am very pleased to say that following my invitation a few weeks ago when he last appeared on the podcast, I've managed to get Keith Barnfather back on to talk about the Myth Makers. Hello, Keith. How are you?
1: you made it sound like it was really difficult. Come on, you know, I just love publicity.
0: Well, yeah, maybe. But also, you're a very busy man and it's not always... This is the thing about interviews. It's not always easy to manage to find a time where the two of you go inside. So I am very pleased that we've actually managed to do it.
1: It was a bit of an effort, wasn't it?
0: It was. We had several dates, and on one of them, I think you were in America. Tell me about America. Tell the listeners what you were doing in America.
1: Uh, America's to the west of us. It's a big country. (laughs) Okay.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs)
1: Um, Well. As, as I'm sure those of you out there that are a bit more savvy on, on real time and these new releases that we're doing, uh, the Doctor's DVDs, um, one of the, um, not problems, but when we started doing them, I thought it was a very nice idea with Kosh to do this because it was just compiling six Mythmakers that we had already made into a box set, which was true of. Um, uh, William Hartnell, uh, Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Tom Baker. Um, but then as we got through those doctors, it, it, I began to realise made rather a rod for my back because um, for Sylvester and Colin and hopefully um, Paul as well, um, and Peter, of course, Davison, um, we needed to do more interviews to make up than subs- the, the, the required number of interviews to go into the box set. So... It's it's, this particular interview, which I had to go to L.A. to do, um, was Eric Roberts, who played the master in the Paul McGann film. Um, Hopefully, we haven't actually done it yet, but hopefully Paul will be doing uh, a Mythmakers with us soon. Um, He's agreed to do it um, when I met him. But unfortunately, again, most of you know, he's terribly busy. I think he's on Holby at the moment. So he's working so hard that he doesn't have much time free. Um, but we hope that we'll get his interview perhaps by the end of the year. And that one will then be able to go out as the Paul McGann years, which I think we can get away with because technically he was a doctor for quite a few years. <laughs> um, uh, we'll go out with the Eric, Eric Roberts interview as well, which is quite a scoop for us. And although I came back with incredible jet lag, I, I really did enjoy meeting him and his wife, Eliza, who was also in the film, of course, playing his wife when he was still human, the um, as the paramedic. Mm. So, well, that is quite
0: the thing to look forward to then. I mean, these sets have been lovely as they've been coming along, but you start putting new interviews on, and then the Paul McGann set. Wow, that's going to be quite the thing. However, well, oh, go on, you, sorry.
1: Well, I was going to say, from I, I've had some lovely comments from people, and, and I, I honestly take them... I am very humbled by some of the lovely things people say. You know, it really is nice that people appreciate. One of the reasons I work so hard is that I get such nice comments back for the most part. You know, obviously you have the odd negative one, but normally they're very good. Um, but for me, this is a labor of love. It's wonderful to get these all these interviews together in what is almost a part work. I think we said that last time we spoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lovely to get all of them in if if I can get it all done, which I see no reason why I can't, to have every classic doctor, you know, covered in this way in a box set along a wall, you know, in your library, I think is is a lovely achievement. And and doing the little extra ones we're doing on monsters and villains and things like that is also a lovely little addition to that set. Well, that's true. You've just brought it up. Actually,
0: you've just um, sort of announced this on Facebook. The villains set. Before we go into talking about what we sort of plan to talk about oh we can always do another one (laughs) well oh we certainly will well you know i might as well say it now you as well as the myth makers you also do the sort of fiction films and we are planning to get together later in the year to talk about those in a lot more detail so this week we're going to talk about basically the myth makers but you've just announced the villain set essentially do you want to say who's on it
1: Well, you caught me slightly because I haven't got the list right in front of me, but I know that um, on the first one, because we may well do two. Okay. uh, We've got Roger Delgado, um, uh, Peter Miles. uh, Ian Collier's on it, isn't Thank you. Ian Collier, yeah. Uh, Yeah. um, Marcus Scarman, um, Bernard Archard, and uh, um, uh, Glover, Julian Glover. Julian Glover. Yeah. Yeah. That's first six i mean um we actually interviewed um um goodison uh, a few weeks ago so david goodison few, yeah david goodison. yeah sorry um we interviewed david uh, a couple of weeks ago um and that one will go out as the regular myth makers extended long version next week um and the shortened version which goes on the kosh release will go out um in november oh wow oh. So i love i love the cover for that one by the way it's one of my favourites the villains one oh yeah be, yeah uh, beautiful you know one has one's favourites <laughs> of course well, and
0: speaking of favourites well two reasons why we're doing this one is because the Sylvester McCoy DVDs have just come out we'll get back to that a bit later But the other thing is, I thought a nice way of doing this would be if I asked you to name your 10 favourite interviews from over the years doing the Mythmakers thing. And that would sort of allow us the room to just have a sort of general conversation about the Mythmakers altogether. Because, you know, as I've told you before, I'm not sure if I said it on the air. I think I did. I've got most of the Mythmakers on the shelf, like literally about four feet away from me. Did you come up? If I need
1: any reference information, you can supply it. I can dive in and grab
0: something. Did you come up with a top 10 for me then?
1: Well, I I didn't and I did. Um, (laughs) I mean, I I, I didn't. It's very difficult. I mean, I don't want to sound like Nick Courtney when asked about which was his favourite doctor. You know, that's. it's quite rightly so is that his answer As all of you probably know it was the one i was working with at the time or whichever be sometimes said all of them whatever um and and, and in no way what i'm going to discuss with you now means that i uh preferred some people to others but certainly i just went through my catalogue and just picked out the names that jumped out at me yeah. that was you know those that had specific reasons for me to like them so rather than them being perhaps what I would consider the top 10 or in fact I've got 13 because I, um, <laughs> I never could count um it, it, it's more those that appeal most to me that's that's probably the way to define them
0: yeah know? that's absolutely fair enough because when I said do you want to pick your 10 favourites I knew that was a bit of a sort of backhanded question in a way because that makes it sound like the rest
1: aren't and that's obviously not the way it is no, I mean, there's also things like when we did David Goodison. One of the reasons I, I wanted to do David's uh, makers um, wasn't actually for the villains DVD, but that, funnily enough, just all fell into place. But it was because David is such a wonderfully nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I met him with Robert Dick at, a, um, at an event organized by um, Tenth Planet earlier in the year and were just struck by what a nice person he was. And I'm very lucky that I can, I can indulge my own... Um Peccadillos, is that the right word? I don't know, but my own you know, if I mean yeah. if I if I really like somebody, I can within reason do an interview with them because I want to. Um, it isn't all. it is certainly isn't about money with doing mythmakers. It never has been. Um, obviously, one has to look at the financial side of it. But it's more about, you know, being able to indulge myself in any ways and meeting the people that I want to meet, you know. And
0: indulging the fans, too, by providing these absolutely priceless interviews with all these people who'd never really get the chance to sit down and do this. Certainly
1: not on video. Some, yes. I mean, some some people have been interviewed, obviously, you yeah. know, ad infinitum. But I'd say the bulk of the people that we've interviewed over the years have, have rarely been interviewed other than on a BBC van. Um, and normally on a BBC van, they don't get a chance to really talk much about themselves. It's about the production that they worked on in Doctor Who, quite rightly. Yeah. I mean,
0: just off the top of my head, for instance, Fraser Hines. I don't know whether he's on your list or not, but the... The Mythmakers with Fraser Hines, where you go up to the stables. And if I, unless I'm misremembering, he talks a little bit about his experiences with cancer as well, if that's right.
1: Well, again, you're, you know, with 135 Mythmakers in the can, it's very difficult for me to remember specifically. Yeah.
0: But that um, was a real... But I, I remember uh, from I, watching that... Do
1: I that, sound like a Doctor Who actor? I, yeah. I did so many, it was so long ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I just remember sitting down and watching the Fraser Hines one because I've met Fraser Hines, and when you meet some of these actors um, in, in certain situations, you'll get their professional side, and they sort of put on a front. And I remember when I met Fraser Hines, after a couple of minutes, I kind of diverted the conversation, so I could get more Fraser rather than more... Fraser Hines, and I just remember remember um, from watching the Myth Makers with him that it was nice that after you'd done some of the Doctor Who things and all the things you expect, the conversation just gets very natural and you start talking you know, uh, about other things that he's done and about other sides to his life.
1: Well, that's very much what Myth Makers was and is and always has intended to be. Mm. Um, right from the start, my aim was not to just catalogue memories that actors have from doctor who but to talk about their entire career i mean i i can't say exactly but i would guess in most myth makers you probably get about 40 to 45 percent doctor who and 50 to 55 percent about the rest of their lives in some cases that's different because it varies immensely some actors don't want to talk about their personal life they only want to talk about their work um so you'll have a bigger proportion of perhaps doctor who than you would Hmm. but You know, the main aim has always been to get to know the person themselves rather than just their career. Uh, Sorry, rather than just Dr. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little analogy. It's a bit like most of these I've found. It's a bit like spending an hour in the pub with one of these people where you know initially the conversation will be the thing you share in common which would be Doctor Who and then gradually all sorts of other things will come into the conversation and in the end you get a much rounder view of the person you've been talking to.
1: Well funnily enough most myth makers tended to end up in a pub afterwards anyway.
0: (laughs) Should we go through some of these names on your list then? Do you want to throw a couple at me? What's your first one?
1: Well, I'm, I'll do them in order of release, not because they're in any order in terms of priorities or, right. or top ten. But um, the first one had to be the first one, Ian, uh, Michael Wisher, who was a very p- close personal friend. I mean, um, when my father died, when I was quite young, Michael, he, to a certain degree, became a sort of surrogate father. Uh, we used to go out a lot together. He came over on his motorbike down to where I lived with my mum, and we'd go down to the pub and chat for hours. It's quite funny to me uh, that I became so close with Michael, and now Andrew, his son, and I are reasonably good friends. Um, and it's a bit weird, <laughs> you know. I feel like I spanned two generations yeah. of one family. I haven't seen Andrew for a while, so if you if you're hearing this, Andrew, we really got to get together. But the, reason, <laughs> the reason the reason I chose Michael Wisher was because um, obviously the very first one sticks in your head. We we hired a cameraman um and went and filmed at michael's house in the morning of the day that we did it and then we went over to john leeson's house and did john leeson in the afternoon um and and this was really virgin territory never having done anything like this before we had a um, an interviewer called keith harrison from channel four who i worked with at channel four who came and did the interview he was incredibly professional, brilliant at what he did. But I learned and realized immediately that we actually needed somebody who understood and knew about Doctor Who to do the interviews. Otherwise they'd ask silly questions that wouldn't be asked by somebody who, who knows. And for, for a fan, if they hear, I, I can't remember exactly what Keith yeah. asked point Keith Harrison, but Keith Harrison asked something like, um, uh, and so can I met the Daleks. And of course to every Doctor Who fan, especially at that point, the Daleks had never met K-9. Yeah. Uh, so it's just some simple little mistakes that, you know, a fan would know and not ask. Um, and that's what led me to seeing Nick Briggs at the convention, realising he was the right person and uh, getting him to start doing them. <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. Well, and Michael Wish was a great choice, actually,
0: to start with, because he played one of, I mean... Uh other than the Doctors and the Companions, the regulars, as it were, Michael wishes Davros is probably one of the best-remembered characters in the entire sort of classic era. And and as well as that, having appeared in things like um, The Air Zone Solution, you can tell that Michael had sort of um, adopted Doctor Who fandom as a kind of... not as a surrogate family, but you know what I mean. He was enthused about being involved, I I guess.
1: Well remember we did wartime with Michael. After, oh, of course you did, yes, yes. Before before Airzone. I, I don't mean that to say we did wartime before Airzone. All I'm pointing out is that yeah. Michael Michael, as you say, was a great advocate of um um of well not just fandom, but promoting and helping to promote what fandom was doing. Um he he really, really appreciated how much fans gave to him. Yeah, um, and, wanted to give back uh I, my respect for michael as a person knows no bounds i i miss him even today so that's i won't probably go on much more about this but you know he was a very close friend and i miss him And i'm, I'm glad that we obviously got that interview done
0: yeah yeah right we better move on with another name because we've only got a limited amount of time and if we don't get through them we won't get through them so do you want to do you want to give me a, a, a your second name
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, again, to me, an obvious one is Ian Martyr, because we lost Ian literally within a month of filming The Myth Makers. Um, And I do remember this sort of halcyon day on the South Coast filming with uh, David Rosemary Howe and um, uh, Nick uh, and Ian, who was an absolute gentleman. Um, I, I consider it. I could see this is the problem. This is one of the reasons I chose these people is because they are all people that I adored and and was so privileged to have met. And in Ian's case, of course, you know, how could I have known that within a few weeks of doing the interview, we'd lose him? Hmm. Um, he, he, the interview we did with him is the only interview that really exists. There's a very short one uh, he did with a PBS station in America that's about four minutes long. But this is really the only interview visually that exists with him. Uh, so it's utterly irreplaceable. Um, and for that reason alone, I chose it. But the other reason is because it was a great day on location. David knew what he wanted to do as director. And, um, you know, it, it, obviously it's creaky and out, you know, now I look at it and I sort of cringe a bit, but, yeah, I at, you know, I, I would be worried if I didn't, you know, Um and, in those days, we ran little themes through Myth Makers, um, and we had this lovely. Mark Ayres did an absolutely gorgeous job of the, job of the music. Um, so I better keep it brief. That's why I chose that particular Mythmakers.
0: Well, I just just to add to that, and you were just saying you did with the early, with some of the later ones, it's just in the living room or whatever, and sit down and have a nice long chat and do a few cutaways. But in the early ones. Because you weren't, I guess, sure about how they'd go down and whether people would be able to sit and watch for half an hour or so of somebody just sitting down and talking, so you'd move around a bit. And the Ian Marta one, I think, was various locations from *Terror of the Zygons*. Was it?
1: Correct. Yes, yes. that's it. Yes. So this, I mean, the... we, we do, we do. I mean, even today, we we film on location. I mean, we just uh, finished doing the uh, Michael Keating. Uh, myth-makers uh, from Blake Seven villain, mm. and we shot that down at Winspit Colliery coll- c- quarry <laughs> is, um, down in Dorset. So, but what we tend not to do so much now is the is the story wrap around, you know, yeah. the little Because I I think it um, yeah, oh, makes me sound so old, and I'm I don't want to say it, but you tend to feel been there, seen it, done it. And you don't really, I'd rather do drama in drama than drama in documentaries now. Whereas in those days... At the beginning, it was our way, all of us, it was our way of being able to do a little bit of drama is to go and do your myth makers and, and add a little storyline to it. Um, I'm certainly not averse to it now. You know, if there was a logic to doing something, um, I would. I mean, in in, um, um, in Michael Keating's myth makers, um, we actually have a little tiny little thing with just seeing a, 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 a trooper, um, you know, uh, just sort of like, walking through shot a bit but that's not really a storyline it just adds a nice visual yeah yeah should we do the third name then be better well it, it obviously has to be john Pertwee um again i'm i'm saying it's because john was a good friend he was a personal friend i met him the very first time i met him was in 1977 Wow. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, just before the very first convention, and I went to see him. He was doing a play. I can't remember the name of the play. Somebody out well, there will know. Um, in the West End, and I went to see him in his dressing room to talk about coming to the first convention. And from that day forward, whatever I asked him to do, as long as he was happy, that the money was the best I could offer him. <laughs> Never said no. John had a reputation for always looking for money. That wasn't true. John would always make sure no one was trying to rip him off. There's a huge difference. Yeah, fair enough. He did his myth makers. He did Return to Devil's End for money that was, was, I mean, it was nothing, but it wasn't normal rates he would have charged for anyone else. But he did it because he knew it was the best I could afford and he wanted to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Same is true. The same is true when he worked for Bill Bags um, on I think it was Zero Imperative. I might be wrong. Forgive me, anybody, if I've got it wrong, it might be um, one of the other dramas that um, that he did um, with Bill. But it was the same thing. You know, he wanted to do it and Bill was paying him as much as he could. And John did it. So it wasn't about money. It was about not being ripped off. And there's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I admired John immensely. An utter, utter professional. Um, and um, seeing him work uh, work an audience was a privilege, you know. As you know, he did. Well, uh, he always liked to call it Vaudeville, You know, um, he he always he did a lot of that stage stuff in the early days of um, panto and uh, radio. You know, he he'd been and seen and done it all. Um, and I, I consider just having known him to have been a, an absolute joy. And his myth maker
0: is actually one of those ones where you're able to go back and add to it again afterwards, isn't it?
1: In what context do you mean that? Sorry, Joe.
0: Oh, I mean, sorry. Oh, unless I'm completely misremembering it. Isn't the John Pertwee one made up two interviews?
1: Um, no, we we with John's one, we, we shot so long. We went to his house and we shot an interview with him that lasted over an hour and a half to two hours. So when we first released it, we released it, it was just him talking heads with Nick. Uh, when we released it, we released it as about an hour and a half, three hour and three quarter Uh, Program, but when we re-released it uh, years later, I cut it down to an hour because I felt it was just too too long for the average person to watch. Right outside of an an avid Doctor Who fan, and that was the shorter version. Was the one we put into the into the uh, the John Pertwee years. Kosh release for the same reason. Kosh said they would prefer an hour-long interview rather than nearly two hours because most people watching it would be would not watch. The attention span wouldn't last more than an hour. But that yeah. his MythMakers was shot entirely at his house in one afternoon.
0: Right, gotcha. That was what was confusing me. I knew it was because there are a number of ones where you did a shorter one, half an hour or so initially, and then on some of them you've gone back and done a sort of second one so that their second release combines the two interviews. Yeah,
1: from Myth Makers 15, funnily enough, from the John Pertwee Myth Makers onwards, we shot them all, intending them to be at least an hour long. But previously, previously on Real Time, (laughs) um, we'd only intended them to be half an hour long. Um, So when we went up to an hour on future ones, because some of the early ones were incredibly cranky, um, we went back and did new interview to put together with the original. So there's quite a few of the first 14 where you're seeing the original interview, a lot of which were shot on location, edited together with another interview done later in our studio, um, and that gave a nice balance between the two. Yeah, yeah.
0: Should we do the fourth name then?
1: We'd better keep it going, yep. <laughs> well, it's another obvious one, Tom Baker. Um, oh, well, yeah. Well, you you, you know, for many, many, again, many reasons. One, because um, it took a long time, very devious, underhanded methods on my part to get Tom to do it. We'd, first of all, I used him for doing commercial voiceovers on some corporate work that I was doing. So I got to know him through that. Never told him that I was a fan, you know, just totally professional. I had a great time in sound studios doing voiceover work for the corporate jobs I was doing. And the client that I was working with was very helpful in letting me do that. And he was quite happy that I told him to have Tom do the voiceovers. Um, and then after we'd done about two years worth of that, I went back to his agent, who, for voiceover work, funnily enough, was Jackie Lane. Um, and had a long chat with Jackie and said, "Look, Jackie, I've got to be honest with you. Apart from all this, you know, you know, I'm a professional. Ha! <laughs> um, I also do this, and I'm a great Doctor Who fan. Would Tom be interested? You know, and I gave her all the information, and she went back to when Tom said yes. Um, and this would have been the first time that Tom had really done any kind of interview since he left Doctor Who. So we had no idea what we would get." Um, and one of the reasons, I don't those of you that know Tom Baker Mythmakers, one of the reasons we shot at East Hangborn, um, where they did uh, Android Invasion, hmm. one of the reasons John Levine is there, and we did a little piece wraparound story, um, was I didn't know what we get from Tom. Um, Tom might have just sat there on one chair and given me a half hour interview and said, I'm going, I want to go home now. I, I mean, I, I didn't know. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not being rude about Tom. I knowing knowing Tom from the days when I was at the BBC, I knew that, you know, he, he could be the kind of person who just did give you exactly what he said in the can and go away.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's plenty of um, examples of times
1: he has done that, aren't there? So, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. not, I, it's very difficult. I don't, certainly don't want to be rude about him at all. I mean, Tom Tom, and I know each other really well now. Um, but at that point, you know, he knew me and I knew him, but we didn't know each other that well. So that's why we had John Levine there to, to do all these linking sketches just to make sure that if Tom just gave me a bit of interview here, a bit of interview there, a bit of interview there, and that's it... I could then still make a myth makers out of it. In the end, Tom was absolutely terrific and gave Nick a really brilliant interview, which I think one of the nice things about doing interviews with people as early as possible after they've been in the programme is that their memories don't get altered by fandom.
0: Right, um, yes, Yeah. There,
1: there is an element, I, I mean, I naming no names, Um, I often go to conventions these days, I don't often go to conventions, but when I do go to conventions these days, and when I rarely sit in on a panel, because I'm usually filming, but if I sit in on a panel sometimes and I listen to what's being said by some of the actors, I know they don't remember that, that's what they've been told happened yeah. Um, because when we did The Myth Makers, they didn't remember that. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's a show, remember, and I'm not, not being rude about anybody. I'm just saying that what I like about Myth Makers, when you can catch people early on, is they give you much more realistic and balanced views about their time on the programme. And I certainly think that's true of Tom. Uh, we caught him giving us his stories probably for the first time since it left the programme. Um, and I think it, it, it's an absolutely stonking good DVD for that.
0: Well, yeah, and, you know, you have to recommend, given that, the, as we're talking, the Season 12 Blu-ray is just about to come out, but by the time this podcast goes out, it will be out. And there's a brand-new, hour-long interview with Tom on there that Paul Venezes has done with, um, with um, Matthew Sweet, Yeah. You can't say that people shouldn't be recommended into going and buying your Tom Baker years set, too, so that they can put the two interviews together and get the best of both worlds, I'd say.
1: Yeah, because Tom's I mean, as an add to what I've just been saying, obviously, Tom has done a lot since now connecting doctor who not just big finish but but experiences of of, of his relationship with fans and also with events and and other things as well and he's older and so he has a different take on everything so so a, a later interview isn't necessarily less valid but it might not necessarily be as accurate
0: as no possible. But I, th- no. I think, personally speaking, I think an afternoon watching one and then the other would be a really interesting and quite rewarding experience. Anyway, let's move on yes. with the fifth name.
1: <laughs> I, think I, I think I'd think i better wrap through them, because otherwise it would be here for an hour and a half.
0: Yeah. Uh- well, oh, that's out. okay with me but I mean it's your time that's... Well,
1: I'm I'm sitting here I've got two, um, two two corporate jobs I have to edit in the next three days and I've got to get David Goodison out by the weekend so you'll have to forgive me if I can't stay on the phone for three hours
0: yeah no that's absolutely fine okay right
1: so um, next one um, again chosen because she was a very very good friend I, I met her a lot outside of uh, work is Mary Tam um, right yes. tragic tragic we Lost Mary so young, and then of course, her husband died you know, I think within a, a year as well. Yeah, um, uh, Mar- 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 Marcus, was it Marcus? Oh, god, I can't remember now. Oh, dear, how terrible. Um, but oh, they were such a lovely couple. Um, and and Mary was just one of the sweetest, kindest people in the world. Um, life isn't fair.
0: No, uh, we but had she- a lovely
1: day. Come on. Oh, I was
0: just going to say she was very game for it, though, wasn't it? Because the, oh, oh. the the Mary Tam Mythmaker is one of those ones where the wraparound story kind of threads through the entire thing, and she was very happy to do it.
1: Yeah, I know. Blame David Howe. That's all I can say. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I have to accept responsibility as producer, but it was his idea. I do mean, you know I, what, though? Just a s- crazy idea.
0: Yeah. Well, it's Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? That's the I'm remembering the right one, aren't you? Yeah. I? Yeah, yeah, you
1: be right this time. Yeah, well
0: done. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that as as well as, well as the Alice in Wonderland stuff, there's plenty of interview on there. But the oh, Alice, in, but the Alice in Wonderland stuff also, you know, it lo- it probably looks a bit creaky and a bit quaint to modern eyes used to seeing modern interview situations. But back then, it was a chance to see Mary Tam doing something that, you know, let's be honest, you'd never have seen her do otherwise.
1: Yeah. And I think I think it's like everything with with myth makers. We always tried to vary it. I mean, deliberately moving on, not our choice. But um, then when we did the next one on my list, Sophie Aldred, we we did the exact opposite. We did very much actuality. We took Sophie, uh, with Sophie's idea to do um, ENG-style camera work, just literally following her, going to all the places where she was born, brought up, went to school. Um, Now, that is a very modern style. Um, Probably ahead of its time when we made it. Um, You know, people didn't do much of that. Um, But now you could fit that into a lot of programming that's made these days. Um, And and that was the. – I'd met Sophie before, but this was the time I really got to know her. And again, has become a lifelong friend. I mean, I try not to bandy these words around too much. But, you know, Sophie is a, is a, is a wonderful person. is a really close friend. That we meet as much as we can. Oh, it's worth pointing out. I
0: mean, some you will get the occasional fan who will be listening to something and saying, oh, he's got to be friends with this person and I haven't. Whatever. You know what I mean. But, I mean, these are human beings. You're a human being. You're in a particular job. They do a particular job. And when those two worlds come together, of course, you're going to have all these things in common.
1: And of course, you're going to build relationships. It's just nature. Yeah, I mean, there there are there are people in your life who, who, regardless of what kind of work you do, you either hit it off with or you don't. Um, you know, again, I, I wouldn't want anybody to think that those people that I'm not mentioning now, I didn't get off with. <laughs> That is patently untrue with 135 of these things in the can. But, you know, as I said to you when I wrote it up, I just literally picked out the ones that jumped at me. And the next one was an obvious one again is Lou Jameson, Louise Jameson. Oh, yes. I love that for a number of reasons. I love it because Louise is one of the most nicest, kindest, charmingest people in the world. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, I really enjoyed the production. Um,
0: I uh, was just going to say the, the location, the production on yeah, that one was what yeah. jumped out at me, too. Yeah.
1: And Lou, Lou suggested right from the start, it was her idea to do um, little pieces of her favorite um, uh, uh, pieces of literature. Um, in it and she like everything Lou does when she does it she throws herself at it 150% um, and we had a, you know we did it we shot the whole thing in the day up at this um, uh, I can't remember the name of it but it's a, a place up near Leeds which is a recreation of um, a um, Victorian town, village, whatever you want to call it, streets. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, we themed it in the sort of um, the Talents of Wen Chiang kind of idea. Um, and the hook was just so we could have her and Nick walking around this lovely village. And and she did some some fantastic pieces, a couple of readings um, and some pieces. And, and the final piece that she did, uh, which, again, I have no had a chance to, I can't remember, I haven't watched it for a while. But the final reading she did, um, about death um, yeah. was absolutely powerful. Um, so I will move on. Oh, well, uh, just one
0: thing to throw in there. Louise is, and, you know, this is just my opinion, but I like to think it's a slightly considered opinion, one of, if not the best actors ever to have graced Doctor Who. And so to hear her doing those readings and to see the interview and the location near Leeds and all the rest of it, you know, personally for me, I would, the Louise Jameson mythmaker is one of, I really would recommend myself.
1: Yeah. But well, I obviously you might think that. I put personally couldn't comment. But <laughs> um but I, I I obviously completely agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> um so the next one, um again because it was um Soph was there and um it was a great day and I really like Sylvester, it's Sylvester Smith makers. Yeah. Um From my point of view, I mean, uh, Sylvester and I aren't aren't one. I'm not going to say that Sylvester and I are great friends. Hmm. Um, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, We're just, you know, we we don't rotate um, in each other's social company much, but... I, I respect and admire him immensely and he is a force of nature and that particular myth was an absolute joy to shoot and we had nick courtney there as well doing his updates for his myth um and he waited for us at the cross up in the village um up at rutland water uh hambledon i think um and um funnily enough we went back there for the last one i'm going to mention in a minute um, oh, okay. But we had a, we had a great day out there with him, and, and spending time with him and Sophie is always fantastic. So moving on, before you interrupt. Well, well um, I was only going to throw in a very brief
0: one. It no, it's not about you, know, it's about me. Well, I was just going to say, Sylvester McCoy, I've very briefly interviewed him myself, and he's one of those people. I mean, he, he has a certain persona when he's doing the stage thing, and he has a certain persona when he's meeting people in informal situations. But as soon as you turn the microphone on, he's right on it,
1: isn't he? He's 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 a professional, Yeah, um, but he is Sylvester. Yes, yes. That's the only way I can describe it. Okay, moving on. Yes. Um, I had to pick this one because two of my icons in production, who I I will never, ever, ever, ever be even remotely close to being able to consider uh, my equals. They are just the best in television, as far as I'm concerned, which is Barry Letts and Terrence Dix. Um we did two mythmakers with them we planned a third but we never actually did it sadly when when barry passed away i got an email from terence saying well i suppose we'll never get around to doing it now um what a uh, shame i didn't know that actually well we felt that we didn't really cover the last period of their their work on the program enough and and Hardly touched Terence's writing, and also I wanted to do a do a quick look back with the new series being made and their opinions on the new series. I just felt it would have been a really nice roundup to make a little trilogy. Of, and these are the only people in Doctor Who I have ever done two Myth Makers with, let alone three. I could listen to Barry Letts and Terence Dix talking about television for the rest of my life. Yes, completely agree. Yeah, so so that's an easy one. Yeah. Both studio-based, that's that. Done, over. Um, Jacqueline Pierce, of course. Um, oh, yes. One and only. Um, now, that's actually coming out on our Blake 7 um, DVD in November. We're issuing through Kosh uh, a DVD of Blake 7 interviews. Um, which is why we actually just interviewed uh, Michael Keating, so that we could have seven interviews in our Blake's seven DVD.
0: Nicely done. (laughs) Um,
1: So um, I revisited Jacqueline's actually not long ago and watched it while I was mastering off uh, all the the titles to go to the the company that are doing the authoring. Um, And and I mean, Jacqueline is another one of those force of natures that you just you just can't be anything other than awestruck by you know she's had a heck of a life uh some of it really difficult but she's seen it all through she's an inc- consummate actress utter professional and and just mesmerizing to be with and her myth makers we shot at the time she was living in this little one room flat not one bedroom one room flat but it would just been decorated in this incredible way Um, and we got this just absolutely terrific. And and like Louise, in a way, um, Jacqueline was into talking about everything that she was going to do, and it was marvellous to sort of go, well, couldn't we do this here? She's going, and we're going, oh, yeah, 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 we can do that, Jacqueline. So I remember that one with a great deal of affection, not only because it was Jacqueline, but because we shot the whole thing in a room the size of a postage stamp, Mm. and yet it still is riveting.
0: My claim to fame with Jacqueline Pierce is, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I'm going to, I
1: once rolled her a cigarette. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) I am not going to even go there. Anyway, Gareth Thomas. Um, I I mentioned Gareth Thomas because um, Gareth was a lovely man. Um, He he really was an absolutely terrific person. Yeah, Uh, I mean, everybody knows that, you know, he enjoyed a drink or one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But when he was working, he was an absolute pro. Um, we had a fantastic day um, on – I can't remember the location. Please forgive me, any Blake7 fans out there. But we went to one location that was used for um, uh, for Blake7 with him and spent the day with him in the Lodic. middle of the summer, boiling hot. And we had a couple of guys, two or three guys, dressed up as troopers again, um, following them around. Him and Nick Briggs. And um, I was just in awe of these guys. They were just—they must have lost a couple of stone during that day, sweating. Um, and and it—it it was the, the I picked it because it, the memory of spending a lovely day with a lovely man was was you know coming home at the end of it and thinking, oh that was nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. I can totally imagine that with Gareth Thomas, actually. I, I, I've i met him very, very, very briefly, but he did seem absolutely lovely, to be honest, yeah.
1: Affable would be my word for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you could go down the pub and have 12 pints. I'll one pint with him anytime. time. <laughs>
0: um,
1: the next one I, I pick, because of the ongoing relationship, friendship that I've built with her and my utter love and admiration for her, is Damaris Hayman oh ah, yes um we we first met at a um, flight through eternity event where we were doing little interviews with people to be combined into MythMakers. so we've got seven flight through eternity myth makers, and each one has about six interviews with people who played small parts in doctor who and that way we can get a little bit with each of them um and still talk about doctor and make them into one dvd Yeah. Um, and I met uh, I met her there, and we did an interview with her for that box, that, that DVD, one of those DVDs, and came away thinking she's got so much more to say. So I contacted her. Oh, I can't remember a couple of years later, and said maybe a year later, and said, you know, would you be would you be up for doing a a, a complete interview, do a full MythMakers? Um, and she said str- yes straight away. She said yes, and um, Anastasia and I um, went up. My wife and my partner in business uh, drove up to her home uh, near Gloucester um, and um, spent the day with her and interviewed her. And Now, at this point, Damaris was still fairly able to move around, was still finding it difficult to do anything where she was on her feet for too long. Um, And we came away and Damaris made it as is. If you know, if any of you have ever met Damaris, you'll know exactly why I'm saying this. She made it patently clear to Anastasia and I that she wanted to work some more and she fully expected that we should provide that work. <laughs> so we were driving back on. You know, I'm saying that with so much love. Yeah, so yeah. we're driving back from from seeing her and I'm going to Anastasia. What, what, what could we do with her? And we just we spent probably the whole car drive back just chatting about what we could do. And we both sort of latched onto the idea of doing some kind of talking heads drama about um, about Olive Hawthorne, and as everybody I would expect out there now knows, that finally became um, White Witch of Devil's End. Um, and I, my respect for her, not only as a person but as an actress, just grew and grew and grew as I've got to know her better and better. Um, I've tried to visit her. Every five or six weeks now, if I can, Uh, it is difficult because we live so far apart. But, you know, she's now she unfortunately fell at Christmas and uh, Mm -hmm. it means she's pretty much housebound now, although she is going to um, uh, a Hoover's event, not Hooverville, but a Hoover's event, I think on the 7th of July. Um, I can't go, which drives me insane. Mm-hmm. I have to have to go to um um, um uh, to a job, and I can't get out of it. But if there's anybody out there that can make it to Derby and go to this event and meet her, it, it, I'm not going to say it's your last chance because I'm sure Damas will live for many years, but it might be the last chance to see her at an event because obviously she can't get out much. Yeah, uh, she's being taken up by one of her carers, um, and I think it would be properly a chance in a lifetime now um and uh, we've actually recorded i went last time I saw her was a few weeks ago and we've actually recorded some voiceovers uh with her for a future drama of which i shall say no more
0: ah but which we may talk about at some later date hopefully well who knows <laughs> um, you've won, won one <laughs> yeah
1: Oh, go on, you are going to ask me a question? No,
0: I was going to say you've one name left, but you were saying, and finally, so we were... Yes,
1: and finally, um, mainly mainly because, again, it was a wonderful day, but also because it it, it actually squares a circle, because I've been talking about the location earlier, um, is Angela Bruce, uh, who was... uh, Oh, I can't tell you what a wonderful day we had. We went to Rutland Water again, and Sophie did the interview Sophie Aldred did the interview um oh really we've stopped what nick and i had a really i won't say difficult because we're such good friends he was my best man at my wedding but we had to have a conversation where i said to nick nick i'm not able to do with myth what i want to do with myth makers you know it's an ongoing thing i don't want to stop making them but nick has got so busy with big finish and his other work that he couldn't make the time to do interviews when I needed him to do them, yeah. which often meant we were shooting Mythmakers and then he was recording links later. Now, that's great, but it isn't good enough when you want to go on location and do one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, So Nick and I had a, a conversation where we he, he accepted that he had to let the reins go. I mean, he still will do Mythmakers. I mean, I, I want him to do them as much as anybody else, but unfortunately, he can't. So, we've now got a few new people who are doing them, like Robert Dick and Martin Parsons. Um, and amazingly, I was chatting to Sophie about it at some point, and she just said, I would love to do them. Um, and, you know, I can't pay her. Again, you see, Sophie's another one of those people that she knows if you can pay her what you can pay her. She's happy to do it. It's not the money. Yes, yes. Um, and she did Jessica's uh, Mythmakers, uh, Jessica Martin's Makers first, uh, which is just coming out on the Sylvester McCoy DVD. And she also did Angela's. Um, and, you know, she was brilliant. And, of course, the thing is, when you bring two people together who worked together on the programme to talk about the programme and the, you know the career there's a special bond yeah uh, it's just so palpable and I, I personally think Angela's myth is probably one of the best mythmakers we've ever done um, and that's because Angela is such an incredibly good uh, person not only in terms of her personality but her ability to present herself um, I rate it very high and I rent Sophie. rent rate what is a Freudian slip and I rent I rate Sophie Audrey very highly as an interviewer as well.
0: Yeah, uh, I can imagine that she'd be good at that. And I can also imagine that Angela would
1: make for a really good interviewee, to be honest, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, both both interviews by Sophie with Angela and, um, um, Jessica. and Jessica are on the Sylvester McCoy years. Doctor's DVD, which you wants to talk about last. Well, which is what has just come out this week as we record,
0: and will be will will be on its second week as this podcast goes out. Which also, as well as interviews with Sophie and Sylvester, which is obvious, and the ones you've just mentioned with Jessica and the brand new one with Angela Bruce, there are two other interviews on there. One of whom is with somebody. I've had on this podcast to do quite an in-depth interview Andrew Cartmel, which oh, is yeah. yeah I now you see this is um this is a a little bit of a, a step for these Koch media releases because Andrew is someone from behind the cameras
1: instead of from in front of them There was there was a, there was two reasons for that the obvious reason is that and this sounds, it sounds rather rude to Andrew. I don't, I don't mean it that way, but there wasn't really, I mean, I, I suppose you could have put, um, the master, you could have put, um, uh, Oh, forgive me. Who was the, who was the, Anthony Ainley, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we could have put Anthony Ainley on there. Um, but he's already slotted into something else. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was like, I, I've managed to get two more actors, uh, into it to make five. The, the, The thing with Andrew, I felt, and and this is why I really wanted to put it on this particular box set, was he exclusively only wrote for Sylvester. He was script editor for Sylvester McCoy's period. So if there's one behind the scenes person that you should have in a box set, he's the one. Yeah. you could argue, you know, but um, obviously Terence and Barry on the John Pertwee period. But the problem was, I had so many of the actors that worked with them. The the the, the interesting thing is, you, once you get past Peter Davison, all of the Doctors after Peter Davison, up to, well, almost up to him today, only have one or two assistants. Yeah. So I had the problem with Sylvester. I wanted to put six on the DVD because on the box set, the two DVD box set, because people love that depth of interviewing, that many interviews. Um, So I thought, put it on, see how it goes down and see if we get any negativity from it. Now, so far, the reviews have been absolutely terrific and it seems that it's gone down very well. So there will be a time in the next couple of um, Myth Makers Compilation, Doctors, DVDs, where we'll do the same thing. Um, Obviously, for uh, the Paul McGann years, when we get to it, fingers crossed, (laughs) we'll put Philip Siegel, who we've already interviewed, and I hope Andrew Sachs as well. Um, So, you know, there's going to be a a, a larger proportion of production people in the couple of them because of the necessity of not having enough other people as assistants working on the programme. Sure, yeah. And I think it's a
0: great decision to put Andrew Cartmel on there because I think, you know, in a certain fan mind, Andrew Cartmel is just as associated with that period as Sylvester and Sophie are. And so his voice is very much a worthwhile voice to have on
1: there. Well, that's that. I'm glad you feel that way yeah. because it's, it, that's, that was my logic. I mean, yeah. uh, it's, I suppose it's difficult for people out there to think about how I think, <laughs> nor should you, trust me. Um, but <laughs> I'm obviously always trying to think of what we can do to give everybody um, what they want or um, what I I think that people will want, which is, you know, always the danger. You can get it wrong. I mean, one of the problems I've had with doing new mythmakers is that obviously the investment in a myth is quite considerable, relatively speaking, um, and if I do a lot of new mythmakers to go on the Kosh box sets, it no longer becomes viable financially. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the reason we've done them or been able to do them up until now is because they were legacy products rather than new products. So one of the things that we've done with the newer myth makers, and this has just come through chance rather than intent, um, with Angela Bruce, with uh, Lisa Bowerman. The same will be true of David Goodison. Is the initial Myth Makers release has bo- both behind the scenes, but it also has an extended interview. So most of the new Myth Makers that are coming out are maybe seventy minutes long, but the edit that goes on the Kosh release, as per their brief to me, has to be an hour or under. Yeah, well, that, so, makes yeah
0: that makes sense. That makes total I mean,
1: sense. I hope, I hope you know, I hope people understand that, and that uh, you know, if you're an avid fan you can get the extended interview as well. But if you're a general fan, and this is a terribly cliched way of saying it, but if you're just a fan of the programme and want to meet the actors who are in it, buy the Koch box set.
0: Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. And, you know, I'm sure I said this last time we talked, but it's like with Big Finish. The amount of money you pay for a Big Finish box set It's fairly equivalent to what you'd pay for the season on DVD or Blu-ray. There isn't a huge deal in it, but it's the amount of money that it costs Big Finish to make these things. You couldn't expect them to do them ridiculously cheaper. It just wouldn't work out, and you wouldn't have the product in the first place if it didn't cost that much at the other end. So, you know, that's the balance you've got to make, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of those conversations you uh, certainly wouldn't want to get into depth on now because I can see we're nearly hitting the hour. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I is. think I, I, I was going to say I think the problem it isn't a problem. No, why would we as producers expect people who are fans of the program and buy the product to understand the financial aspects of it? I mean, you know, it's difficult for somebody who's buying uh, the BBC. Uh, box set of the entire half the series, you know, for an amount of money and then looking at Big Finish and thinking, well, this is just audio and I'm paying the same. But you see, the BBC have a budget to make the program It's sold around the world. The program makes profit from that. When they release the DVD, they have no specific overheads to make it. Whereas what goes out on Big Finish audio has to be produced for that audio. Yeah, entirely on investment, and the same is true, obviously, in a minor way, but in a smaller way for what we do. Um, The thing that upsets me most, if I get upset, and I don't allow myself to get upset about it, is the times I've had conversations with people who've posted one of our videos on YouTube or have taken it taken it to a group of friends without telling us, and they've shown it. They go regularly show it to twenty or thirty people. And they don't see what they're doing that is anything, I won't say wrong, but I will say that impedes our ability to do what we do. Yeah. I mean, every sale that we lose in real time means a lack of investment in us making the next product. Um, We're not a BBC, neither a Big Finish. Big Finish, I know, you know... Run Big Finish, my friends. I know that the profit margin they work on for the products they do is nowhere near what a commercial company would work on. It's one of the reasons the BBC will never cancel their license because they are far more profitable for what the the money, the amount of work the people put in to what they actually get paid. The BBC could never do that. Yeah, you know. know, Big Finish. I won't. This sounds detrimental. I don't mean it. Big Finish. Most of the people who work on Big Finish are Doctor Who fans. They're professionals, but they're Doctor Who fans, and they do what they do because they love the programme. Yes. Um, and
0: actually, big uh, well, just completely sort of uh, as a sidebar, so, uh, th- Big Finish are also starting to get a reputation for finding new actors on the way out and giving them work that they otherwise probably wouldn't get too so a lot of now younger up-and-coming actors are finding work with big finish you know f- for similar reasons they're doing the work because it's experience rather than because it's great money or whatever but it, it, it's the kind of thing that works out for everybody
1: yeah i think it's always a question of balance um, Yeah. And if I had a message about all of this to anyone out there who, you know, who torrents big Finnish stuff, um, it's not really anything that real time has a problem. Thank God, you know, people, people don't seem to do that with us. It's just think about what you're doing, that you're not dealing with a big organization like the BBC that's public funded. You are dealing with a private company that needs the money to make products. And if you want the product and if you like the product, support it. Don't knock it. Yes, absolutely. Now, one more thing before you go,
0: because uh, we sort of sidetracked ourselves from talking about the uh, Sylvester McCoy set, but the oh, other new that. <laughs> the other new interview that's on there, and this is with somebody I absolutely adore because I met her several times. She has been on this podcast briefly, and I keep say, we keep saying she should come on and do something a bit more substantial. But I absolutely love her. It's Lisa Bowerman. Do you know she talks
1: even more than me? <laughs> yeah yeah no <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lisa's Lisa's marvelous yeah I, I I felt a bit guilty um uh, 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 guilty is probably the wrong word but I overlooked Lisa's contribution to Doctor Who because obviously I'm obviously no I I'm I'm probably more focused on the actual program yeah or, the peripherals that go on around it, which is quite funny because I'm a peripheral too. But I hadn't realised how much um, the whole Bernie Summerfield uh, story, yeah. it, well, what a huge story it is. And it wasn't until Robert Dick, when I was talking about doing the um, Sylvester McCoy years' uh, doctors to him one evening in the pub, funnily enough, um, and he said, you know, you should do Lisa. And I said, well, we should. I said, sounds derogatory, but she just played Bernie Summerfield in the audios, didn't she? That's what, and he said, well, yes, but, and he came up with all these reasons why we should do her. Um, and when he saw her, I just went, my God, yes. She has a unique position in Doctor Who history. Yeah, um, yeah. She's very informed about the program, um, and she's just damn good value for money as well.
0: She is. She's one of those people. She'll. She does. You're right. She, she. She can talk for England, but everything she says is worth saying, and everything she says is informed with a completely intelligent understanding of what she's talking about. She's brilliant, isn't she?
1: Yeah, damn sight more than me, I'll tell you.
0: Oh, now yes, okay. What do you mean? You're supposed to agree?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean I I really enjoyed doing it, Uh, and and interestingly enough, we had a slight problem. I mean, it's bloody, bloody, blah, -blah, but we had an interesting problem with the audio that. it wasn't anyone's fault, but the, sometimes these things do happen, but the, we use these little ECM mics, they're called electronic mm. condensed microphones, the little tiny ones. You see it on people's shoulder in news and everything. We use those a lot with sit-down interviews. But for some reason, the lead had got trapped somewhere um, in the route to me, and I won't bother telling you why I didn't notice it, but... We had this little thumping sound coming through on the audio every once in a while. It was a bit to do with um, breathing, but it was also to do with a hand or something, perhaps touching or foot touching the mic. Anyway, I, 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 I threw myself on the mercy of Alistair Locke, genius that he is. And he had this piece of software he put through it and removed it all. Yes. There you go. Another name to drop. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and modern technology for you as well. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so true. Saves our uh, saves our bottoms. The, I mean, uh, these days. Yeah. Well,
0: although speaking of which,
1: I will drop in
0: something very briefly next week. Possibly there'll be an interview on this podcast with Rob Lloyd, the Australian comedian who's just come over. But we uh-huh. were so, we were so strapped for time, we had to record in the car on the way to Dartmoor. Because we went up to see uh, you know, the various areas around where they did the Zontaran experiment. And um, the sound quality is not great and there's it's one of those ones where there's nothing you can do about it, so I'm oh, not sh-
1: give it give it to Alistair.
0: yes, <laughs> well, so I'm so what I'm saying is basically to anybody listening this week, next week's might be Rob if I can get it to the point at which it's listenable, but if not, I'll put it out somewhere on Facebook, so um you know, so that it's not gone out as a blue box podcast, but that at least the interview's out there, so uh.
1: What can I say? Yeah. You can always listen to me again.
0: <laughs> it'll be something else otherwise. But I'm just saying, if Rob Lloyd doesn't turn up next week, look for me on Facebook or whatever. There'll be a link somewhere. I'll, I'll, it'll go out one way or the other. Anyway, sorry to derail you a bit at the end there, Keith. <laughs> I'm
1: alive. don't worry. I can survive. Mm.
0: Right. Um, Look, I'm going to have to let you go because you do have so much to do. And, you know, I quite fancy a cup of tea myself and put my feet up for a couple of hours. So, uh, you know. (laughs) But thanks for coming in and do this. This was great. My pleasure. Yeah. And we will in, you know, a few months next time when there's... The other thing on the horizon that we promised we'd get together and talk about, we'll come back and we'll do it again, and we'll talk more about the um, video dramas and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the next drama that we're we're planning on finishing, we were hoping to do it this year, but it'll now be next year. Is anomaly? Oh, okay, uh, but we'll, as you say, we'll that that now is slotted in for November next year.
0: Oh right, well we've well we're not waiting another eighteen months, Keith. We'll we'll find another excuse to do something else in the meantime, eh?
1: Threats now, eh? Yeah, yeah.
0: oh, definitely.
1: Right. Well, thanks, thanks as ever, and good luck to everybody out there.
0: All right, thank you, Keith. Brilliant. Right, and so until next week, then I was JR, and uh, we'll speak again soon.